Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Well, welcome. This is Brad Rostowski from the Food Finance Institute. Um, I run the Food Finance Institute's Fellows Program, which is a business accelerator for the food and beverage industry. And we're here today. We're going to talk to Mike. I'm always getting this wrong. Schlangenhofer. Is that right? Schlangenhofer. Schlangenhofer. Um, Perfect. From Acuity Insurance. Acuity is a, is a partner with FFI, um, and they have a, a very large practice in uh, the area of risk management, especially in the food and beverage industry. That's why they're, they're joining us today. So today we're going to talk to Mike about um, you know, how he approaches uh, you know, working with clients and trying to help them you know, one, mitigate risk, manage it, um, you know, and it's not just necessarily buying insurance, it's, you know, other things that they could consider within their operation. So, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you just give an introduction to yourself and Acuity, and, and we'll go from there, okay? Well, thank you, Brad. Uh, glad to be here. Um, so, again, my name is Michael Schlagenhofer. I've been associated with manufacturing um, since 1979. I have worked for small companies, as little as five people to as large as multinationals located in 160 plus countries. Uh, currently, my position at Acuity is a manufacturing consultant for our approximately 7,000 manufacturing customers in 29 of the United States. We will be in 30 states as of 2022. Um, Acuity itself is what is called a PNC insurance carrier. So what that means is Acuity offers uh, uh, property and casualty coverages to, to uh, uh, businesses. Um, Acuity has about 70% of our, our insurance coverages are related to business coverages. 30% is related to personal coverage, which would mean your house, your home, umbrella, rentals insurance. But my focus truly is on the business insurance providing um, um, our customers' services that can range from as simple as, um, hey, we're looking at becoming, uh, buying a robot, what should we know, to as deep as implementing uh, lean manufacturing or uh, setting up a new facility. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So let's just, uh, you know, I, you, you gave a pretty broad range, especially from mm -hmm. five people to multinationals and then some of the technologies and such like that. So. Let's just uh, let's start. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to maybe just use a little bit of a case study approach to this, and then um, and then we can elaborate if they're larger or smaller and, and such. But you know, we work with a lot of companies that are are probably between five and twenty employees at max. Some tend to get larger, but you know, it's it's you know the the, the, the broad audience is is usually more on the front end of their of their business. Um, so you know. As, as we, you know, as, as, as companies are starting to scale and grow their businesses, all right, so, you know, I guess, how would you, you know, a, a client calls you and say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like, I, I'm starting my business, you know, I'm starting to really scale and grow my business. Um, I really want to make sure I've got everything covered from a risk management point of view and, you know, sort of anything to optimize that side of, of, my, of my business um, and, to, and, and manage it. How would you, why don't you just give a little bit of a approach of how you would work with that client? So if one of Acuity's customer would reach out to myself through an agency or through the underwriter or through loss control, my first thing is to ask them a lot of questions. You know, when you said um, 
oh, I, I got my risk control or my risk identification all in place. My first question is, okay, let's talk a little bit. What do you, as the business owner, see as risk? Because there might be some risks that you're not even aware of. And when, when we talk about risks, you know, it can be something... The way I consider risk, it could be physical risk. Let's talk about that a little bit. Maybe disaster, natural disaster, fire, wind, whatever you have going on right now. There's also other physical risks for like um, within the building. You know, you have equipment, machinery, you got loading dock. And then there's risks that are more hidden, uh, which I would consider cyber, cyber risk, right? Cyber liability. And then you get into more of in-depth, which where the insurance coverages come in, for example, uh, product liability, product withdrawal. So what, what do you have in place, let's say, if you get from one of your supplier a bad product in, you process it, put it in your food, send it out, suddenly people get sick, FDA says, well, you got to pull this off the shelf. Do, do you have that risk identified? If you have it identified, what do you have in plan, in place to pull that product back on? on I go a little bit along the way, so let's identify the risk. So my questions to the customer first is, what have you identified at risk? And then when we go through that list, I probably find a few things that they haven't identified yet or not thought about it. And then the second question is, and I mentioned that already, is what do you have in place to address this risk? So by addressing the risk is, you know, uh, looking at this from an insurance thing is if I can eliminate the risk to begin with, let's say um, use a simple one. It's used a natural disaster. If you close to a river, well, we already put a, a dam in. We already put flood zone protection in. We did this and this. So you, you try to mitigate that or eliminate the risk up front. So engineer the risk out. Now, often that's not possible. You know, you've got a building in the middle of Wisconsin and, you know, wind happens, storm happens, hail happens, whatever else happens. Well, you can't engineer that out. So then the question is, what do you have in place? Well, we have cleaned all, clear cut all the trees around the property. You know, we have a notification system. We have a PA system. We have a tornado shelter, all of this. And then my next question would be, so what do you do when... A tornado comes in. Yeah, we got a shelter. Well, how do you get the people in the shelter? How do you get, what are your procedures that you use when the risk happened that you couldn't avoid? And then the last thing is, is what do you have to have in place to recover from the, from that, from whatever happened? And that's usually where a lot of companies say, well, I, I got insurance coverage and then, um, which is really not my expertise, but our underwriters will make sure that they, on the agents, will make sure that they actually have the coverage in place they think it. Because a lot of times people get insurance and they don't really know what they're insured for. Um, you know, there are sometimes deductible issues, there are sometimes exclusion. And a lot of times the question is, um, you sure that you have this coverage? Because when we're looking at your policy, it's not spelled out or it has a limit on it. So making sure that that covering to rebuild or recover from the risk is there. But where I get most involved is literally going to the property, sitting down with them in a room and going through the details of what they have identified it, how they want to engineer it out or have it engineered. And then what are you doing your response when things go bad? Because a lot of times, you know, I'm just using a fire as an example. If you don't have a sprinkler system and the damage of the fire will be bigger. So 
does it make sense to put a sprinkler system in because that will mitigate the damage if a fire happens you be down for a lot less time your recovery can be quicker the next question then and uh, i'm going on and on here but do you have a disaster recovery plan what happens where do you get your equipment for how do you um, get that equipment in your in your building mind you're just thinking on things like uh, Katrina happened here a, a few decades ago. How do you recover from this? Well, I, you can't just pick up the phone and call a, a machine manufacturer and says, you know, my baking oven uh, went down. And the question is, you know, where would you go? Because that whole region was impacted. So we need to start identifying ways that are uh, that, that are not just local, regional, or national. We need to think global uh, and, and a lot of this stuff and you you've been probably pay, paying attention to what happened in the last 20 months here with global issues so your disaster recovery plans usually need to be pretty deep in and that's where i see a lot of times that customers after i ask the question say well we we got covered the building we we thought we had this protected we thought we had a recovery in place for this however if it's, a, if it's a regional or national disaster, we weren't prepared for that. So I helped them identify all the risks, putting mitigations on recovery plans in place. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Let me ask you this. And I just, uh, uh, you know, so and when you do you're, you're doing this and then obviously to your point, if I, when you get to the point of, OK, so how much, you know, risk management, you know, the insurance side of things that, you know, that you're going to be doing and as you're reviewing that, then you're, you know, especially for you at Acuity, then you you work with the, I'm going to say the agent then and or the underwriters to be able to just say, OK, this is what we need to this is what we have in place. This is what needs to get covered. And then you can they they start working with the client on in the insurance side. Correct. Well, kind of, because we are mutual carrier and we don't have agents that work exclusively for Acuity. Acuity works with about 20,000 independent agents. And the difference is when you look at a captive insurance, they can only sell their branded product. Let's say insurance company A has their own agencies, uh, insurance, uh, they only can sell your product. They're independent agents. Think of this a little bit like a 401k fiduciary. They get they work for the customer. They work for the manufacturer. They go out and they shop 10, 5, 8 insurance company and says, okay, here's the price difference, but here's what this company adds into the price. Here's what this company doesn't have into the price. And, and I can give you a quick example. Um, cyber risk. Yeah. When you look at cyber risk, there is so much involved. For example, mm -hmm. a product that Acuity is, is called Cyber Suite. That covers everything from basically physical attacks to your devices, which would mean somebody hacked in your in your in your laptop and damaged the the, the laptop itself. We would replace that, right? Uh, that includes if your network gets comp compromised, right? That includes risk that, for example, um, somebody hacked your system, went in and damaged customers' data. So it's it's just cyber protection doesn't mean that everything is covered. So a lot of times. When I have this discussion with a customer who says, you have cyber protection, but your protection only covers X, not X to Z, you should go back to your agent and see what they can do. Because, for example, we have a product called Cyber Suite, which covers everything. And then we can talk about the limits that they should be putting on. Because, you know, you can say, well, I only have a million dollar limit on it. Well, Sometimes a cyber hack can cost you a lot more than that. And then 
that's where I can guide them to have that conversation with mm-hmm. the experts saying, well, the program at Acuity will cover this to X dollars, but if you want more, we need to buy additional through Acuity or through an extra carrier. Does that explain this yeah. a little bit? Yeah, no, no, that's great. And, and, and real quick, the service you're providing, I mean, it, it is obviously, you know, how do you stand out compared to brand X, Y, and Z? I mean, it, is there a, it, does everybody have people like you, Mike? <laughs> no, that's a good question. We run, I and my coworkers that have a similar uh, uh, responsibilities, I run into this a lot. Most insurance carriers have something that's called loss control. And those are the people that get sent out. Let's say, Brad, you want to insure your business with us. You have an agent that says acuity. Brad would like to have his business covered with you. We send somebody physically the boots on the ground and they're basically going to sit down and they're going to ask some high level questions. How many employees? What's your sales? What security features? What protections do you have place? So they cover some of this risk management at a very high level and they walk through your facility and they're going to look around and say, you know, you don't have fire doors, you don't have exit. And then they make a recommendation to you and say, okay, here's what we see. So if, if the customer says, yeah, I'm willing to adjust to this, we're going to quote the, the business, the insurance for yours. We're going to give you a quote. You say, I see what I like. Well, so the moment you, you sign up with security, you get services, the consultant services we call, which are included in your premium. So there is no extra charge. So at that time, you can actually pick up the phone and call out and say, hey, Mike, you're the manufacturing guy. I make bread. I want you to come down here and go through this and then we go back to what I mentioned before. We can do ensure that you assess your risk, right? That you identified it, that you have mitigation in place. And then I'm not an agent. I'm not licensed. So I can't exactly tell you what products, but I can flag them and says, I would look at your business interruption plan because you only covered for X dollar on you telling me this is how many dollars a month you do. If your business interrupted, you only covered for two weeks. So you should be going back to the agent, increasing that coverage, or you take the risk of saying, well, I can fix this in two weeks. I don't need more coverage than that. So does that help you a little bit? Okay. I have not met another insurance carrier in the field or at a convention that offers that consulting service specific to the industry. When I back a little bit up here, we have uh, four industry experts on, on staff. Uh, one focuses exclusively on commercial auto, which would be your trucking, or if you have a bakery and you do delivery, your vehicles would fall on the commercial auto. So this, he, you would ask him, what's the DOT uh, legal? Uh, how do I have to maintain my fleet? What's the trailer towing for me and all of this? So he's way more in depth on that than I'm. Then we have also a construction uh, a consultant who would step in, for example, you say, I want to expand my building. Here's my site plan. What do I need to know? How do I sit down with my architect so that they design this building for me that it that it does what it does? And then, then another consultant would be our retail consultant who can help you more with the distribution side of this, the uh, um um, if you have a grocery store, for example, you know, if you want to upscale, here's how you need to put, develop a training program. Here's the Food Safety Modernization Act rules that apply to you. And we can help you develop that training or connect you with the sources. And then ultimately, you have myself and I focus heavily on the manufacturing and which in the business classification ranges basically from wood products all the way to concrete um, 
it goes by the NICs on the SNIC yeah. codes. So whatever that classification is, but our customers can reach out to any of us and then the four of us will decide, well, this is a retail uh, uh, a field. We set the retail person out. Nope, this is definitely a manufacturing field. And there's many businesses that all three or four of us actually work with on different projects because they want to put an addition on. They also want to put automation in. They also went from uh, uh, direct sales to online sales. That's where with Aaron coming. And they're increasing their fleet. So there's a lot of times it's not cut and dry. But to answer your question is, I have not run across another insurance carrier. And there's 3,000 insurance carriers in the United States that offers that service at no extra cost to the customer. Yeah, no, that, that it's uh, really a, a great feature. And, and it's like I, I've seen a, 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 you know, similar type of, uh, I'm going to say, program, programs in different, in different areas, like in, in a lot of architectural engineering firms sometimes. What they can, you know, what they can offer up is sort of a, 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 client, uh, a client representative. So, I mean, their role is to really navigate you know, a whole bunch of, uh, of the thing. They don't do the work per se. They're, they're good. Uh, they're good experts in their area, but they, and they know how to a- ask the right questions. They know how to listen to the right, you know, to the answer and say, interpret it for the, for the client. Um, so then the client can make an educated dis- decision, right? Um, it sounds like that's a lot of your role. I mean, cause you, you, you're not really getting in and building up the, the, the business continuity plan. You're just asking them about the business, their business continuity plan. If they've got one, what's in it. And, um, have you thought about this, that, and the other thing? And, um, and then, you know, and then it, it, obviously if they have a consultant they're working with, you know, you're actually become a partner with them on making sure that you, you understand that they, they've, they've got it addressed. Um, and then it, that, that sort of factors in overall, their overall risk management sort of plan. Is that, am I paraphrasing that right? You, you hit it right on, Brad. Um, and again, I could give you maybe a, an example here is okay. yeah. a, a customer, realizes due to the uh, uh, whatever you want to call it skills gap or we can probably call it a body gap the workforce isn't there for them to literally grow from this 10 people company to this 100 people company in five years so the question that they had is how do we get there so we sat down uh, they reached out and i went through their business for a couple of days asking questions literally observing their processes under shop floor and says okay there's automation solutions for you so they went back as a group and decided we want to go automation. And then we, we, we met again and then I provided them some insights. It's okay, here's the, here's the benefit of going with automation X, Y, and Z. Here's the drawbacks. Here's what you need to know. So then they could reach out to the actual automation providers and brought them in. And now they had an, an educated uh, background to ask the right questions and to literally tell them, what they want to go to, because sometimes when you don't know what you need, you buy in the wrong things. And a good example on that is, and you probably as a consultant yourself see this, people buy an ERP system. <laughs> and they buy something and they realize it doesn't give them what they have. Or the other option is they buy an ERP system that's way too expensive that they don't even need. It offers some functions that the company isn't even ready to use for the next 10 years. So a lot of times... My role there is, is, okay, here's what's out there. Here's the questions you need to ask. Here's how you test the system. And then when they make a decision, they often reach back out to me and says, okay, we decided to go with company XYZ's robotics. Here's the plan that they put in, or here's the proof of concept that they showed us. 
do you can you review that because we still don't understand all of this and then it comes as three-way partnership um they will make the decision but i can sit there like in the backfield and says wait a second i'm not i wouldn't i don't understand why they have you at this and why they charge you this on they don't have a preventative maintenance packet included or training for your people. You got to, before you sign on the bottom light, you got to know that because yeah, some companies put the robots in and they walk away and then you sit down and say, how do I maintain it? So they're not even aware of some of the risks if they go one direction or another, but you, you hit it right on. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with you. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a, it sounds, it's a, it's a great role. I, and, you know, and I guess I've, uh, you know, having worked with you guys at Acuity in the last couple of years, it's like I, I sort of generally understood it, but uh, it's great to hear it, you know, per- firsthand from you because mm-hmm. it's a service, honestly, that I don't think, uh, you know, many people really appreciate. I know I, I like I said, I've done some of this in my, in my own con- consulting career is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about is, is allowing, you know, to be, you know, to be sort of the customer representative, it allows, allows you to, to have that freedom of just looking at everything critically and, you know, giving them the insight they need to work with, you know, whatever third parties that they're working with, which, you know, there's a multitude of them. Um, so that's a, it's a great feature. I, it, it's uh, something that really, you know, does set you apart. Like I said, I, I don't know of any other insurance company that I've ever worked with that has this. So, um, so uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to, to hear that and articulate that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dig deeper into a couple of different mm-hmm. areas, you know, so, you know, one of them, you know, you talk about, you know, risk management and then, you know, like, so then there's, there's so many different levels of that, obviously, right. There's just, you know, I mean, there's some things that are just one-off issues, but then, but then, you know, you know, I want to touch on, you know, your thoughts on business continuity planning. And then, you know, and then I think the other pair, other deeper, other sort of deep area that I wouldn't mind spending a little bit of time on is, you know, sort of like recall management, you know, some of the things that, you know, you do that's not just, you know, you know, the idea of recall management, oh, well, you just have to be able to identify the problems and get rid of, you know, get it, get the product back. And there's so many more other things you can do. And, and, and you know, than just recall management, it's just that, you know, that's, that's, that's looking in the rear of a mirror. How do we, how do we stop the bleeding versus how do we prevent the bleeding? So I guess let's take the first one. Let's go, talk about a little bit about business continuity planning. You know, when you're working with, you know, I'm going to say larger companies have these, you know, they, they have a disaster plan and they, and they really work, they really develop and work at it. Um, the smaller emerging companies, they probably don't have as much of this. And I guess, you know, how, how do you sort of introduce that idea and then, you know, start scaling it with them? Is that good? You, you understand what I'm talking, looking for? Yes. Uh, and I think a, an example that I can give you here is when you're that company that, you know, you've been in business three to five years, you, you're a local brand, you, 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 you're starting to be uh, recognized regionally and in your state, or now you want to really go, say, take your brand nationally. And one of the things that I like to bring up with this uh, is, you know, now your cybersecurity risk becomes way bigger than it was when you just sold out your your front store, you know, to the people that walk by or even to in the county. But now you're going statewide and regionally. A lot of your customers, for example, you know, large uh, retailers or distributors, they require your system to be connected to their system. So they don't want to send you POs by fax, or they don't. They want to say, "I want to, I want you to to manage your inventory directly in my supply chain." Right. So now you have to connect your ERP MES system to their system, right? 
Well, now the risk becomes, okay, before something, when something happened, it only impacted your business, right? Your two laptops and your machine went down. But suddenly you connected to this retailer or this national chain, and the risk becomes bigger. Where are you aware of that? So now we got to talk about physical protection. You know, do you back your files up? What kind of firewalls do you have in what kind of um, security systems do you have? What kind of password? As simple things as uh, put a guest network in. So when people coming in, right, you need to have them not touch into your server system that is now connected to somebody else who potentially is connected to a whole chain down the line. And, and people don't see that a lot of times. So I go back to what we talked in the beginning. Is I help them a lot of times. Now you're stepping out of this small box, and this is not an insult into this big world of corporations, your risk suddenly, it doesn't just multiply, it becomes more because you weren't connected to anybody else's network. You didn't get automatically, you know, connected to suppliers or vendors or other things that was just not an issue for you. So we help identify that and then say, okay, now that you're aware of it, here's what you can do to mitigate that risk. You know, I talked before about engineer it out. Um, for example, what one of the big things you hear on the news here is ransom management. How often do you uh, uh, ransom hacks? You know, how often do you back your system up? Then we got into things like, is it on-premises? Is it cloud storage? How do I do this? And, and we can sit down with them and guide them and say, okay, the risk of cyber crime will never go away. However, if you put all of those steps in, that risk goes from 80% to 12% to 15%. And then we want to make sure that you have a recovery plan in place. So for example, the cyber suite, does it cover uh, a, a, a cyber forensic? Is somebody coming in and looking at the system, what happened and how far the damage was? And then how do we rebuild that system? And the third thing is then, how do we protect that system from a future attack? Does that answer your question? On, yeah, yeah, on, on yeah. That? Yeah, no, because I say, you know, it's a, a, a lot of companies, and I've seen this in, in some pretty good-sized companies, you know, where they, they've had a lot of plans in place, but, you know, one, they have their first near miss, <laughs> hmm. um, and then all of a sudden they decide, oh, I need to develop a business continuity plan because, you know, God forbid, you know, I, I you know, a plant, you know, there's a, there's a plant here in Wisconsin that had a fire, you know, um, you know, it's like, and they were, they're, they're in t that was it. They had one plant and they were out of business for, you know, X amount of time. And then, you know, afterwards they've, they've, you know, not, it's, it's interesting. I know, I know some people there personally that, you know, they got really engaged in, in business continuity planning. Um, you know, and then I say I, that actually has a halo, a halo effect because then people around them had that same idea that like, what if this happened to us? Um, and so, you know, ramping up that whole idea of, you know, really looking at your business critically to your point, and, and you bring up a good point, you know, if you're regional or, you know, you're pretty much local, um, let's just put it that way, where you you have much more control over everything, um, that's one thing. But, you know, when you start tapping into, you know, the networks, you know, and, and you're tied into Kroger's or Walmart's, you know, EDI systems, like, you know, you are now having a much broader exposure. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, you know, they expect you to, to be able to be prepared and that cause them a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to add, I, I can add something there. There's even some of them companies that you mentioned. They say, I like your product. You know, I like the sauce that you make. We want to have that yeah. on our shelf. But to be yeah. a vendor of us, here's what you need to do. So they go back to you and say, 
are you protected against those risks? So it's a lot of times better to have that business continuity and that risk laying right there. So when you sit across the table from those multi-billion dollar companies and this is, you know, we really like your sauce, but being partner with us means there's a risk that you bring into us, not just from the product, but also from your business, right? Yeah. And if you can sit there and lay that business risk assessment and continuity and all of this on the table, they're going to be surprised when they say, you know what, the sauce is good and they run their business very smart. So it's always good to look at that even before. Yes, you have an outstanding pizza sauce or spaghetti sauce. Everybody loves it. But some people don't want to do business with you because you have not identified all your risk. You don't have a recovery plan in this in, in, in place or you don't have even considered that risk at all. So it's it yeah. goes even further than what what do you do when it happens? It's really, I mean, think about this. When you go and buy a new car, you yourself, and the, and the person sells you this, uh, doesn't take you back to the repair shop, or introduces you to the service people, I would be a little bit, whoa, the sales guy just sells me a vehicle. Mine. I usually go there when somebody takes me back and says, okay, here's our service department. We can do everything. Well, we can't do the body work. Now I know who I do business with, right? Yeah. And I tell you, man, you mentioned Walmart. They're not going to do business with you if they see you as a risk, no matter how yeah. good your source is. Yeah, no, no, I know that. And I mean, it, it, what ends up happening, and this is a little bit of a, 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 a false uh, a false positive that some of the, the, the smaller manufacturers get, they get lucky. And when I say get lucky, they have a relationship with some local, you know, Walmart can take in products locally. I mean, they do. I mean, store by store, um, you know, they won't get into their warehouse and into just into broader distribution unless they sell it into into to Bentonville. Um, but you might think you, oh, well, we're really doing a good job. And, you know, you know, Wisconsin's, you know, these 10 Walmarts in Wisconsin. Well, you know, you're you're basically self-distributing and you're you're sort of under the radar as far as Walmart's concerned. That those 10 stores know you and you may be doing great there. The thing is, is that to your point, you know, Walmart, you know, is is heavily I was with a very large company and we didn't at that time, when you know, this is about 10, 15 years ago. We didn't have GS5 certification at the time. And they said, well, we love you and we love what you do and all that stuff, but, but you need to be GSFI certified, you know, and that's and, and that, you know, that's just about quality management, you know, and making sure you understand, you know, you've got your you've got verification process for your supplier certifications and your processes and, and everything you do inside your four walls for the most part. Um, but to, what you're describing is even the next level up is just this idea that, you know, it's broader than just the product you're making. You know, and whatnot. I mean, because it, it, you know, manufacturer or retailers, you know, I like to call them, you know, what they are—they're item merchants, mm. um, and and they make money by product, you know, you know, profit per lineal foot on a shelf, or you know, or or turns in a warehouse. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you have a, a shelf or a warehouse slot that's sitting empty, um, they can't make money on that. You know, so. Um, you know, so it, it, it's one of those ones where, you know, you, you really, you know, got to sort of forecast forward, um, you know, what you're going to need to be successful. And then if you're going to get into any of these larger retailers and it's not, you know, it, we've talked about Walmart Kroger, but I mean, you know, there's a multitude of, of, you know, of, of retailers out there that, you know, they're a little more regional, you know, Wegmans on the East coast and you got a whole laundry list on the West coast and, um, and, and they're pretty good sized retailers. They have the same, you know, almost the same standards. 
um, and, and specific, you know, requirements that a Walmart or a Kroger has. So it's, it's not like you can say, well, I'm not going to Walmart. Uh, most of these players are, are really uh, requiring it now. So, yeah. um, well, I think of this a little bit, and I think, Brad, you hit it all on right here is, you know, that's that thing is, you know, when, when, when small companies start out, and let's talk about a manufacturer, the reason they make something is because they have a passion. We really good. My grandma gave me this recipe for this pizza sauce. I sold it to my relatives, and 10 years ago, I decided to, to make, start my own business. What they really focus on is, I'm good at making that sauce, or call it a widget, right? And then the mm-hmm. business grows, and a lot of times the business grows past what they planned. So I go back to this risk assessment on the continuing continuous planning is, well, you go to a bank and say, I want uh, $500,000 to put a new building on or cooler space or whatever it is. The first thing they're going to ask you is, do you have a business plan? And even that business plan, if you don't identify the risk and says, okay, here's the upside to the market, here's the downside to the market, here's the most... The bank's not going to give you that loan for that half million dollars. So just looking at that risk in all directions and a lot of times, and that's what I get a lot of surprises in. When, oh, we were doing so good, we think, and we didn't think that this business is taken off. Or now we didn't identify all of that risk and all of those extra things that came come with it. Like you mentioned, you know, the, the Cocos and the Walmarts, they're looking for certain things. Yeah, it's okay if you do with one of our stores business uh, in, in, in your county. But when you ship to Bentonville, you got to have those check marks in place and a plan because our name is the one that's on the door. So when there's a recall happening, our name is on there. Nobody reads that label on it. We have to manage that. However, we're going to shoulder that back to you because it's your product. Um, you better have a plan in place before you even try to sell me this product. And I think a lot of businesses fail there and they don't get the opportunity to connect with those larger retailers and chains and distributors because they don't bring that to the table says, here's my plan. Here's what we identified. Here's how we mitigate it. And here's how we're going to turn that or reduce that risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh, spend a little time talking some, some another specific area here of the like product recall. So product recall, obviously, the worst part about it, you know, just this, this the sheer fear that oh my god, it's in the market, I have to pull it out. Um, I mean, th- that you know, the recall process itself is is uh, is daunting and I'm sure scary and just you know just just fraught with all kinds of. I've never done this before type of deal um, as a manufacturer, hopefully. Let's put it this way. Most of the time, they, the first time is the, you know, is like the one that just totally scares them. Hopefully they don't have a second time. Um, but I guess if you were to, you know, if, you know, in the ideal world, somebody calls you up and say, okay, I'm looking to go broader into broader distribution. So I know that, you know, if I have a problem, it's going to be bigger. So how do you, you know, I mean, and, and like I say recall management is, as far as I'm concerned, is, is, is not about recalling, you know, the, the, the best plans prepare for that, not, you know, not respond to that. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of things you can do before, you know, to, to really try to prevent it. And then, and then when it, when it does happen, how to, to really keep it as small as possible. So how do you, how do you, you know, let's say somebody's saying, Hey, I'm going into from regional, you know, like local Wisconsin to regional national distribution. And I really want to make sure I understand my recall, you know, it's my risk, my recall risk management, my, you know, develop a really robust recall plan. How would you work with a client like that? Well, I can give you actually an example that happened with one of our acuity customers. Um, 
we had their property protection for years. And at some day, they were, sometime they were shopping around and they said, you know, we want to move all our insurance business to acuity. And they submitted that. And now we had some history on them and the property was protected well and they managed it very well and they had risk risk identification in play. But then the underwriter looked at it and says, boy, they, they, they are a potato processor that goes into a super large companies, right? Nationally, mm-hmm. even international. Yep. And suddenly we, they wanted us to carry the product, recall in the product, withdrawal coverage. And the underwriter says, I don't see anything in the history that you have something in place. So we connected with the customer per phone. And I said, so what do you have in place right now? And they said, you know, that the, the, the farmers that we deal with, they come in and they dump their potatoes. We wash them, we clean them, we size them, we cut them, we slice them, we dice them, we freeze them, we ship them off. And I'm like, so where's your quality control? Oh, we check once before they go on the back. And I'm like, but why wouldn't you check on the on the shipping on the receiving door? Because you already have a bad bad batch coming in that's contaminating your whole inside and shut deeply. So we literally they didn't realize that that they don't have an incoming quality control. And the other carrier that they had their product liability or not a product a product withdrawal coverage with it didn't flag them. And I'm like. Why would you trust, and I say this pretty bluntly, why would you trust the 65 farmers that deliver potatoes to you? You mix them, or now you got to recall everything. So we started literally at the basics, did a supplier verification. They didn't have anything in place. I was actually mm-hmm. surprised that their larger distributor actually didn't flag that with them. So we basically yeah. said, you need to make sure that what's coming in your door is good. How do you make that? How do you ensure that? Well, we don't have anything in place. It says, okay, let's do some in- incoming tier one, tier two uh, inspection like the automotive suppliers do. Uh, check 10, 10 potatoes out of every, every batch. As they get better and better and you understand their quality, you can re- reduce that to five. But then you also have to make sure if Pharma A gives you a bad batch, how you keep that separated from Pharma B. Oh, we just dump them all in this big bin. I'm like, well, you have to have different bins till that bin is cleared, right? So we literally had to do that basic step to go, here's what the income quality control is done, in process control, and then again, the final control at the end. And then one of the things that they did not have in place was a barcode tracking system. They barcoded their bags, but the system, their, their material handling system, ERP system, did not well, that was not capable to take that barcode and break that down to the individual vendor to the delivery. So when they had a if they would have had a recall, they would have had to recall all their potatoes, right? So what mm-hmm. we basically said is you need to find a system, their system wasn't capable to change their ERP vendor. Um, to say, well, now I can literally look at that bag and say this bag. Those, that truckload goes to Walmart. We can trace it down to each bag within that truck. So we know when we find out, oops, Pharma A had a problem, we only need to recall certain bags, which done from us from an insurance carrier, oh, they got a process in place. We can give them a lot better rate than, you know, we got to recall 50 trucks or we got to recall only one bag, right? Does that does mm-hmm. that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Well, no, exactly. Because as I say, it... Um, you know, the recall itself is a scary process, you know, the physical recall, right? Correct. But there's so many ways of mitigating how much is it one, you know, like say, if you can get that laser sharp, that it's literally this, you know, this, this lot, and it went to these four retailers, 
and uh, you know, and and it's these code dates. Um, okay, you know, all of a sudden you 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 you've really cauterized the wound and and it really mitigated a lot of loss, now, and not just fit dollar loss of the product, but obviously exposure of the brand. You know, um, and even if you're like say what you described, I think was an ingredient company, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, you know they're selling potatoes to a large brand of such, you know, multiple large multinational brands, probably. And, um, you know, so you still have a brand issue because that, those, if you lose, you know, let's say you're selling to Arita, you know, as a subcontractor of potatoes, you know, you lose that, that's probably a big chunk of your business. Um, you know, and it's hard to get that back once you've, once you've made a big problem, then you have to do all the things that you've just described, or they're probably not going to take you back. Um, because their brand was on the consumer-facing front, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that if if I interrupt you here, I'm sorry. Um, that's right. A couple, a couple of decades ago, there was that peanut butter issue. I don't know if yeah. you remember that. The big companies out of business, right? Or you look at automotive Takata, right? Now yeah. it wasn't a bad product. That was a design issue, mind. It didn't do what this, but the company's out of business. But the recall put. Companies like Ford, GM, Volvo, you know, all of those big car makers. And most people don't even know where their airbag comes from. So you you damaging their brand, not just your brand. And there could be lawsuits coming, not just from injured parties. You know, the people that ate your bad potatoes or the airbag didn't go up. You could be getting lawsuits from from the car makers. You know, you could be getting lawsuits from, from the food distributor. So it can put you literally out of business. And if you yeah. don't understand that and have those safety things in place to me, I, I go back to the automotive industry. Uh, years and years ago, I worked for plastic injection molder and we made non-critical parts, basically a housing cover. And yeah. In the mold, we put literally a stamp in there. So every 15 minutes, this little pin came up and turned. So we knew exactly. So the only product that was always at question was a maximum of 15 minutes which was literally yeah. one Gaylord fall of product. And that's why we choose 50. So if, if, if we would have had an issue that was uh, identified at the assembly plant for the car maker or at the car maker or at the dealership, we knew there were only so many, I think there were 480 parts in this in this Gaylord. That's the max that we were impacted, which is really relative inexpensive to pull off the shelf or recall versus, yeah. oh, we ran six weeks on this, on this cover now we got to recall 150,000 cars. So yeah. think about your risk. Yes, it might be small to you, but um, I, I love what you said. The brand recognition and the brand damage is there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it gets to be exponential to you. I, I, and you said earlier, you know, as you go from regional to national, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm 20%, 50%, 100% bigger. No, it's more exponentially because you're now out in, you know, you know, there's 34,000 grocery stores in, in, you know, that touch the 110 million households in America. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, it's, uh, you know, you, you, all of a sudden you really start, you know, ramping up and it's, you know, it's not just one more state um, for the most part. I mean, it, it can, you know, you can try to control distribution, but the reality is once you get into broad warehouse distribution, um, your product can get anywhere real fast. Um, and then your information flow, like you said, cyber is a whole nother level of, of thinking these days because everything is done that way. I mean, there's, there's very little... There's, there's a lot of, it's funny, you, you still see a lot of paper in a plant, but uh, the reality is, is the, the ones that count are in, this, in the computer systems. Um, 
you know, and, uh, and it's, it, it, getting it right is, is really, you know, it, it's, I always, that's why, that's why I sort of like having this discussion with you and, and Mike and insurance, you know, insurance carriers that, you know, you're not the product, but the reality is, is what you do is you create, you, you create safe ways for the product to, to you, you sort of force people, your process sort of forces people to think about safe ways to get their product to consumers, you know? Um, you know, I, I've always, I, when I was an engineer, um, I worked with, uh, I worked with Oscar Meyer and we built big, big systems, 25,000 pounds an hour type of systems. And, uh, you know, it, it was just when I first realized about food safety, it's like, you know, I always prided myself that I built systems that didn't kill people. Um, <laughs> it's like the simplicity of it all is you know, I was like, wait a minute, you, you make a mistake and you can have some food poisoning and, you know, the, your system has to take care of that. And then you have to die. And the way we took care of it is besides just good processing and, you know, GMPs and SOPs and, you know, all the other integrated stuff is that, you know, we made, we designed the system, you know, so that, you know, you weren't touching things and, you know, there weren't crevices, there weren't places for germs to, to, to reside. And, um, and then there was cleanup procedures. And then, you know, as time went on, we, we, we mitigated, we mitigated a lot of risk by once the product is pasteurized, we would, you know, we'd go through a cooking and chilling system. It came out, it went in on the one side where it was raw, raw meat, you know, where you packed it into a stuffing of sorts. And, uh, and it came out on the other side, it was cooked and, you know, cooked, processed, um, cooked and chilled. And, you know, and in that, in that, in that, process you have a kill step of the bacteria is that the bad the bad things for you it's killed on the other side now we have a whole new set of it's like a whole new plant a separate facility um you know and that and, and that that was you know in this in the 80s and 90s we were you know they were doing that even before that at oscar meyer but that is now more of the standard for the industry um which is good <laughs> um it's still not easy to do you know and it takes uh it takes good professionals to get it done both inside your four walls, but then I'd say having people like you, Mike, and, you know, your, your risk management partners that bring some uh, additional layers of critical thinking, um, um, to making sure that, that, uh, you know, you, you've really mitigated everything you can, because as I said, I, you know, I, 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 having grown up on that side of the ledger of, of operations at myself, it's like, I thought about that, you know, um, you know, if, if, I don't know how people could live with themselves when they cut a corner and somebody gets really violently ill, if not, and if not dies, I mean, that, you know, that's not a good thing. Well, um, all the things you touched on, I don't know my, but the audience will be here, but remember all the pork issues we had a few years ago, you know, out of Iowa, if the farms had to be, all the, the, the livestock had to be killed. Now, when you look at that, the whole industry looked at that as a risk and said, okay, we're raising piglets that are after six weeks leave the facility so they ship mm -hmm. them all out then the whole facility gets cleaned up because you know yep. if you and then after so many weeks those piglets get moved from the next facility to the slaughter those trailers get cleaned out because one thing in that supply chain and that's really when i think the risk when when i talk to smaller companies that are with security I see this a lot when they don't realize now I'm getting into this supply chain. I'm not just working with three local stores or, you know, mm -hmm. across the county line. Then they suddenly realize you're getting into this huge supply chain, which some people really don't even understand what the supply chain is. I, I do a presentation on that. And when I tell them, 
you're only in the middle of the supply chain. A lot of manufacturers think I'm the end because for me it goes to the grocery store. Well, from the grocery store, it goes to the consumer. But before you, there's 50 more steps. And one of the things I think on that I see on the horizon that makes this a little bit even more critical is as blockchain moves into the industry more and more because you know it's been used very heavily in the cryptocurrency but i think you see it apply applied mm-hmm. like through the fr- uh, fair trade coffees through the yep. fair trade co- i think ultimately every manufacturing that manufacture that sells something to somebody right yeah even if it's just they say you make a uh, you selling the ink uh, pen to a company that builds the pen you will be somehow required to be part of this blockchain. That that product traceability is there yeah. to to each ingredient in that liquid ink. So we know when that pen is out there and it's bad, we can pull yeah. that back quickly, safely. Because you, you said something that uh, that that was my, my I always was scared about this too when I was in med. If somebody gets hurt, you know, they have to lose a finger, it's a finger. However, that person got maimed, right? Yeah. If a person gets sick, spends six weeks in ICU, you got to see that whole picture. Their family is yeah. worried, right? Yeah. People need to take off a vacation. Yes, the person didn't die. However, they're going to yeah. be scarred for life. And then you make yeah. that bigger. When I mentioned Takata before, they knowingly changed something on their product and took that risk. And I'm not sure if they did it because they weren't aware of it, if they did it intentionally, if they did it for profitability or what. But you got to realize that this is your responsibility in my book yeah. as the yeah. processor, the manufacturer, to do this to the best you can, follow best industry processes, guidelines, and regulations. And one of the things, if, if I can ramble on here, throw this in is, for example, a lot of food processors say, you know, we are USDA and, and FDA approved, but I would say, why stop there? You know, yeah. you mentioned the GSFI. You mentioned the uh, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but why are not getting ISO certified? That adds yeah. additional level. Yes, it adds yeah. some bureaucracy, but it mitigates that risk down and down and down. And I always look at this. I live on a very busy street corner, and I have a crosswalk. But I'm like, you know, I could just li- literally. Walk out on that crosswalk because they need to stop, right? That's what the law right. says. However, I do look left, I do look right, and I look left mm-hmm. again. And then when I'm halfway across the street, I do look right. Yeah. I go. So do I have to do this? No, because it's a pedestrian crosswalk. There are signs mm-hmm. on there. They're supposed to stop. But I'm like, if everybody always would do what they're supposed to do, we would have less issues yeah. than... But and then there are things that are out of your control, and I mentioned it at the beginning: weather, climate, um, other changes that literally. Mind, I want to go back a year and a half. Nobody was prepared for COVID. I'm sorry to yeah. say that. My, yeah. I worked for companies where we had uh, issues in the in the in the 2000s with uh, 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 Fukushima shutting up one of our suppliers down. So we got yeah. smart. We got us. That wouldn't have helped us during COVID, right? So yeah. you need to learn from all of those things that slip by you, or not say, "Oh, we have to." Cut. No, I gotta take my. De- I, I gotta identify more risks. I gotta put more and more and more in there. And I think you mentioned this as a good manufacturer retailer. You owe that to your customer. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, well, and you mentioned blockchain, and it's like I agree with you. It's uh, you know the whole the whole the FISMA sort of changed the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I don't, we will have a separate discussion on this at some point in time with about FISMA again. I mean, I think a lot of people have heard about it and under, you know are, are are dealing with the regulatory changes that FISMA brought. I mean, obviously, FISMA is just an extension of everything the FDA, USDA, you know that. That was brought about because of the fact of, you know, people read the read the book, The Jungle, <laughs> because people were not taking, you know, they were they were, you know, they're cutting corners. They weren't worrying about things. And so they they, they put requirements in place. Right. So that you couldn't cut corners. So that's you know, that's why the regulations got started, because people were really doing some very bad things back in the 1900s, early 1900s. FISMA was the first major upgrade of that in the in the in the God, I think it was late 90s, 2000, early 2000s before it got done and implemented um, back in, what, 2014, something like that, 15. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the thing is, is is one of the things that they, they it requires a manufacturer now, and it's it's every manufacturer, you know, you cannot say, well, my supplier gave me that, you know, it's not my fault, it's my supplier's fault. You as a manufacturer are responsible for the product you man- manufacture and, and deliver, all right? So, they're, you know, the implied... The implied warranty of merchantability, you know what you're making and it won't hurt anybody, you know, kind of thing. So that means you have to go back and understand the supplier, you know, that you're your you're supplier and you got to certify that that supplier is giving you the product that you've asked for and certify that it is safe with, you know, you use it within your process, that it's safe. And, you know, and then it, and it gets through the distribution channel safe. So once you finally transfer the product to a warehousing, say Kroger has it now. You know, Kroger now owns that, you know, that that's that chain of command. All right. You've done everything you possibly can and documented it all the way up to that point. Um, but at least then you've done that. You know, in the past, it said you could get away with. I mean, to some extent, when I say you could get away with, at least you could argue in court, probably um, that my supplier did this. You know, like, well, they might still go after your supplier, but now they can go after you. All right. And and so that and that, you know, what, we, we, what that really means is we need to be much more robust on on that supply chain. And that's and that truly gets into blockchain. Um, and the nice thing is there are systems out there. I know I work with one system, um, Qgistics, that does this, you know, that they literally could you know show you the field that the cow ate, the, you know, the grain that the cow ate to make the milk that ate, had the cheese, um, you know, which, you know, some people look at it. That's just you know crazy. But it's like. Well, you think about the lettuce, uh, the lettuce issues we've had where the water was contaminated, you know, with salmonella and and that was right. You know, basically getting into the lettuce, you know, into the stream, into the food stream of the lettuce that we were putting in our pre-cut lettuce bags. So those are the things that, you know, I, I think from that 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 need to be continually looked at and reviewed. And, and it's great to have you, you know, have somebody like you, Mike, I mean, you know, I've known you for just a couple of years, but. Um, it, it, I tell you, you know, coming at things from a manufacturing point of view and really understanding that whole sort of com- chain of command, um, that's just not something that's something that doesn't come automatically to everybody. Um, so it's great to have it's great to have you and Acuity, you know, think like that. So congratulations on that altogether. Well, well, thank you, Brad. But you see, that's one of the decisions that Acuity, I don't know, eight, nine years ago made. Is we understand this coverage thing. You know, we know you have eight employees and here's what the accident rate is in your field. We can calculate that workers' compensation out. So if we have to write a check, we, we, we don't have to go out of business. And if you don't have, because we help you mitigate that. 
But then the acuity is, do we really understand those processes in that plan, right? So that's the level mm-hmm. when they said, we need those industry experts coming in. We need those people that can tell us, here's what I see. Here's how the risk, here's a risk that happens that could be, that is, that is not identified, that's not mitigated. Then we can help them developing those engineering solutions. And, and you, you look back, for example, mind the European Union has a lot more, I think, safety features in place than, than we have here in the United States. I personally mm-hmm. think we're a little bit behind. And I know now everybody says we don't need more regulations and we need more <laughs> government. But but here's the thing is you said that one bad actor can damage the whole industry. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. before, you know, getting into the, the Kroger's and getting into the Walmart. If your product has to be recalled, that those companies are damaged or they're gonna not going to do business with local and small companies anymore because they said I got burned once by one, I got burned twice, guess what, I'm going to buy my stuff overseas. Or now you just, the impact goes into your whole industry just because you didn't take that risk mitigation, identification and management serious enough. And it's it's hard because I got into pizza sauce making because I love making pizza sauce. I don't want all this other stuff. And that's where I think what you do and on, on, on food finance institution, on, on myself through acuity is here's the big picture. And you're not fighting this battle alone. Take the time, listening, sit down. Here's what happens. Here's some of the answers. And if we don't have them, we can work together to find the answers because you yeah. know, 30 years ago, nobody knew cyber risk, right? 30 years it wasn't. Yeah. Today it's the number one crime, right? So yeah. We we have to put those risk factors out there. And by we, I'm saying this includes that potato grower in in Idaho to the processor to the distributor to the to the to the fast food food guy that cooks them to the person that drives through that fast food window and picks those French fries up, saying, "You know, I got sick, and here's where I was. I should go call that store and say, "Hey, I have been diagnosed with food poisoning, and I ate by you." Not not saying, you know, you owe me something, but flagging this so that we can flag that supply chain quicker instead of having 100, 500, 600 people going through that issue. Mm-hmm. So we all have a responsibility. And when I mentioned regulatory on, on the, and government and on, on legal and all, mm-hmm. of, well, it's getting cumbersome. But the thing why they are in place is because, you know, the, the goal here is to protect the consumer. Yeah. And I think well, we and, all need and, to be realizing that Every every cog in this wheel in this gearbox has a job to function. If one fails, have a safety in it for it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think people should realize. I mean, I, I'm you know, I'm not advocating for regulation, but regulation comes when people cut corners, <laughs> um, or regulation comes when you know. I'm going to say some. I'd say an industry wants to get rid of a risk, you know, or, or, you know, you know, there's a lot of work that was, has been done in a lot of different areas. I I always refer back to organics, you know, 20 years ago, all 50 States had, you know, organic laws, you know, so as retailers and manufacturers wanting to get into the space, um, you know, it was like, it was almost impossible, you know, in order to get, you know, you had to have one, one set of retail regulations, you know, food regulations. Um, that, you know, there's there's multiple reasons why regulations occur. But I tell you what, the, the, the easiest way for it to come in would be is that somebody does something, they cut a corner um, and and it causes you know people to die, you know, or really get ill. 
um, and 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 then people to lose, you know, like you get large manufacturers losing brand recognition and, and retailers and they will want to stop that. Right. So that's why as much as we like to, you know, it, 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 it like say, you know, please don't you know, regulate us to death. It's like the way you prevent that is by really being more proactive on risk on your risk assessment and management of it so that, you know, that that next whatever issue doesn't show up that we have to put a regulation onto it. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, like I say, if you, I always I, I always rec- I always recommend people that are going to get into the food industry and, and especially as they start looking at regulatory requirements of uh, USDA, FDA, FISMA compliance and such, um, you know, read the book, The Jungle. All right. Um, and you'll understand why, you know, what, you know, why we need regulation, um, because people, you know, it, it, like you said, if everything worked perfectly and people all worked right together, you know, we would not have a problem. But I, like I say, the, first of all, if everything doesn't work right. Um, and and then, you know, being an engineer, I took classes in the you know, it was called the human factor. Um, you know, whenever you have a human in the system, humans, you know, get sick. Humans don't always see what they're supposed to see. Um Human, you know, you know, some days are good days, some days are bad days, you know, that kind of thing. And and it creates situations that need to be you need to have some safeguards in place, you know. Um, no, no, so, you're, you're 100 you know, percent right when you said, you know, and this is and I get this pushback a lot because, you know, I automated a lot of processes and it wasn't to take jobs away, but to to eliminate risk. I worked for a big mm-hmm. electronics manufacturer that made super critical parts for, for the computer disk drive industry. And we realized there was a fatigue factor in our people. You know, they worked eight and 10 hour shifts and we saw the quality dropping. That wasn't done intentional by them people. It was just eyes getting tired, muscle fatigue, you know, repetitive motion fatigue. And so we implemented a lot of automation None of the people lost their job. They all got different jobs as the company expanded on all of this. But the thing was, we identified that human factor, the inconsistency or the, in the, 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 the non-repeatability of that process, and we automated that. And that's, I think, you need to look at everything saying, what are my risks? What are my solutions? How can I mitigate that to a near zero? Because, you know, there are certain things we talked before about the, the weather, the climate. We can't engineer hurricanes or tornadoes out, right? We, we just can't. But let's build a building that can withstand that. Let's pick locations that are less prone to this. Let's do everything in our powers to keep that risk at the lowest possible level and then um, have a plan on if something goes wrong, how do we respond? And that's the biggest thing when we talked before about recall or product withdrawal is if you have a plan in place on how to pull that back, it's a lot quicker than when you have to call all of your managers back and say, oh, we just got notified by our uh, customer that we have bad potatoes out there. How do we get them back? Well, if you have a plan mm-hmm. in place saying, okay, what's the barcode on this bag? Okay, it's one, two, three, four. Okay, let's pull everything from one, two, three back on all the way to one, two, three, four, five. Bring those bags and inspect them. Says, okay, now we know it's not in the five bags and it's not in the three bags, so it's only that lot or what. However, you can either. But if you have that plan, it is so much quicker. And you mentioned, I think the key thing that you said in your last comments was, uh, let's step up here, do it right, so we don't get more regulations because regulations come out when something didn't go right. 
right? When we need to control something that seems to, and it is the government, I'm sorry, it's the government's job to look out for the, for the citizens of the country or the world, whatever you want to call it. So what do they do? They put regulations in there and some make mm-hmm. sense, some don't make sense, but mm-hmm. that's one reason I always push and this is really and, yeah, and, and and you know the thing that I always said about the regulations too is like and people understand and, and this is not this is you know they, I don't want to get into a whole regulation discuss you know beat up regulators and people that cause regulations but regulations do have a lot of reasons like I said they come because people make mistakes and and that you know so now we have to put some safeguard safeguard you know to sale the other one is this I mean as you get big and I'll I'll just say the big manufacturers I've worked for some major league manufacturers as you get big your risk gets bigger all right your brand is worth a lot more. Um, and, and, and they have some say in regulations, right? We have to stop this. You know, we have to make sure that that doesn't happen because I have a lot of exposure because the, the world and the supply chain is not as robust as it should be. And I can't change the, an individual manufacturer or retailer cannot change the supply chain by themselves. All right. Um, and, and we probably don't want that anyways, no matter what, by the way. Um, so, you know, so what happens is, though, they do have a big say in regulations. And and so, you know, if we, if we want to be able to compete, you know, that comes into doing our job the best we can. All right. Um, and, I, and I say it, it. And plus, by doing that, and this is, it leads me to a question I was thinking about as you were talking, like, have you ever really worked with a manufacturer? I know I've, I've worked with some companies. I've you know got a couple of groups that I've worked with on on uh, with ERP systems. You, you brought that up, and a lot of them look at it as, a, as an expense. And I said I always look at it as it's an there's an ROI to what you, if you do this right, there should be an ROI to it because you're not hiring more people because you don't have to do physical inventories. You don't you know there's so many things that the, the ERP system should should streamline for you that you actually make you have the capability to make more money and more profit if you implement this right. All right. So have you ever had that, you know, where somebody comes in and say, Hey, I, you know, obviously I want to, you know, mitigate my risk, manage my risk and whatnot, but I want to make, sort of want to make money at this when I'm said and done. I want to make it more of a continuous improvement sort of process, you know, is, is marrying. Have you ever worked with manufacturers sort of with that bent in mind? Yes. And it's not, uh, was, this wasn't acuity customers, but during my career in manufacturing, I worked in a company that actually, basically said, we need to implement a system that we can put all this information in, you know, from raw material to the processes when we went with an ERP system. So it was very a painful implementation because it was mm-hmm. my first one. And I'm talking 1980s. So yeah. the technology, you know, the, the, the software people really didn't understand the manufacturing people. <laughs> and as a lot of those systems came out and said, so what about this? And, and you know, the, the we, we put band-aids in place and the in- implementation yep. was it was very, very, very long. The second system that I implemented uh, personally, I learned so much from the first implementation. We really, uh, I think we specified to the, the ERP supplier that we that we brought in to, to look at their systems, what we were looking for, and that helped us narrowing down. We also wrote in the contracts, you know, here's what we expect with the implementation, during the implementation, the support from them, the after support. And then the third one that I helped implementing literally compared to those two other ones went, because I learned from all the mistakes, right? I learned Mm -hmm. from all the pains and gains. But truly, I think each of those companies implemented an ERP system. Yes, there's a big price tag on some systems. However, they implemented because there were efficiency in their mind. Just given you from the last one we did it, just our actual uh, a product cost 
was so much more accurate because we tied it into machine time, operator involvement. So we had the true cost every time somebody worked on a, on, on, on a job order, right, on, 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 a, on a PO, they scanned their batch and they scanned the machine. And so we really knew how much resources we had to do in to make this, this product. But well, then mm-hmm. we could do our costing right. We looked at this and said, on some products, we're really not making the, 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 the profit we needed. And others we were, so we could go back to some customers, give them a better price, and put resources towards why are we not cost-effective on, on those products. And mm-hmm. ultimately, there was one product that we basically went back to the customers as you know, as of January 1st, XYZ, we are going to not going to do this for you anymore because we, we can't make it effective. We thought we were good at it, but the ERP system provided us the data. And, you know, we tried to get this process in mind. They actually came back and said, you know, what what do you need to make this profitable for you? And we kept the job. But we wouldn't have known that, right? Yeah. So it helped us really to, to I, I want to say this, cost our product, right, to run profitable, not to rip our customers of like the few that we found out we be making way more money on those jobs. And it was hard to go to them and say, you know, for five years we overcharged you. But mm-hmm. now that we know what that real cost is, so to answer your question, I think ERP systems, uh, they can help you. If you know what you need, if you understand them, and don't customize them in the beginning till you're familiar yeah. with what is out there. I think people go in there, I talk customization of the system, not the reports. Man, those those are easy done. You go to the guys and says, you know, I want column eight in the front. I want it in the back. I need an extra column added for this. That. That's not the customization I'm order. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Is the first one we did is every department wanted something different from the system, and the system <laughs> just wasn't capable. So they literally engineered that and, and programmed it as we implemented, which is not the way you want to do it. If I can put a pitch in here, there's a really good podcast out there. It's every Thursday, I think, about 4.30 in the afternoon. It's called WBS Rocks. Um, they really talk about ERP implementation. They bring people in and they literally address one subject in every show. So you can download previous shows. So if you have problems with your planning system in your they, they, there's guys from the field out there, they address it all and says, here's what you need to know. Here's how you can work around. Here's some of the things you want to know. It's a really good show that uh, gives people that. When I go back to what we started out, this is how do companies go from that five and 10 people to to how do we leave the, the local brand to go regional, national, you know. I think those people really need to understand ERP system because most of them going to use an XL or, uh, yeah. uh, you know, any of those, uh, um, what is the other one that you can buy that the, the, the financial system. And once you grow those systems, I, I, I don't want to yeah. knock them, but they're not capable. They're not fast enough. They're not real time. They're not yeah. compatible with other systems. So you have to really go into dedicated manufacturing ERP systems that provide all of this and connect all the dots within your, in your operations. Well, I'll give, I will give a plug to uh, one of our, in fact, one of my FabCap companies, the very, my very first uh, cohort of 10 companies fab, in FabCap um, it was, it's called QGistics. And QGistics is a cloud-based ERP system. It's specifically and myopically focused on the food and beverage industry. All right. So it's been set up, um, you know, this, uh, Vivek, the, the founder and, and Swati, um, uh, the co-founders, um, 
that developed this, you know, they have food and beverage background and ERP implementation background. And when they did it, they were doing, they were developing a system for the food and beverage industry and for small manufacturers, you know, so it allows you to scale and grow your business. Um, and I said, I'm, I, it, it, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, you know, the thing about manufacturing, if you're going to get into manufacturing, it, you're manufacturing millions and millions and millions of units to make money. Right. Um, and so you have that many more chances to make a mistake, by the way. Um, and then and then, you know, if you have good, robust processes around it and then you're tracking it properly, you know, and, and I say not just tracking it from a, I'm going to say a risk management and a food lock and tracking and whatnot, but tracking it, like you said, from a cost point of view, this does not have to cost you. In fact, this should be a tool to make you more profitable. Um because honestly, as I said, you're making millions of units. It's you a difference of a penny or a nickel per unit. Um, you know, may not sound like a lot in some respects, but when you you know times millions, right? Um, all of a sudden, it makes a difference. It's the the difference between making you know make, keeping your business afloat or not. Um, and 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 then all too often, if you don't have some kind of really robust um, tracking mechanism like an ERP system would allow you to do from a cost of goods sold. You really don't know what your costs are, so you don't you don't quite understand how come I'm not making as much money as I should. Well, now you have to start dissecting it, um, and and a good ERP system will allow you to do that. Um, so, so I, and I appreciate. I'll have to uh, uh, make sure we post that uh, that that uh, uh, implemented the ERP implementation uh, podcast that you you refer to because I like I said it's 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 sort of a you, you it's sort of like just understanding the process of you you know implementing it and utilizing it. Um, and, and then there's way, there's, there's ways of doing it better and there's ways of making it way, to your point, way worse, you know, um, you know, everything doesn't need to be customized, you know, for manufacturing is actually a pretty straightforward process. Um, you know, some people make, you know, make the process, I say more complicated than it should be. Um, you know, and it might be just cause it's the way somebody liked to do something when they were doing it manually. Well, when you put a machine in there to do something, you, you know, you don't have to do it the same way necessarily. Um, so, well, you, you brought a couple of things up this ERP system, and I know we're talking about risk identification and mitigation. But the second company that we implemented an ERP system, actually, we used the ERP data for our lean improvements. That's how we identified where we're going to go out and do lean manufacturing on it because the costing wasn't right. You know, mm -hmm. what happened? Yeah, when engineering designed this XYZ up there, you know, they, and I'm, I manage engineers, trust me, they do <laughs> the best to think, but then you put it out on the floor and everybody changes something a little bit, you know, and tweaks this and tweaks. And the process is very, yeah, it's documented, but we're looking at this and says, we added so many non-value added steps in there mm -hmm. because on the end, we, we weren't profitable. So we, we took our ERP systems and said, Okay, this should be we should be making twelve hundred widgets in, in twenty four hours of this, but we continuously to make uh, uh, only eleven hundred widgets. Why? So we went out, we monitored the process, we stood there, and then we realized there's stuff being done to this product that engineering didn't need it, we didn't need it. So we went in and we value streamed that, took that out, and then measured it again. An ERP system suddenly said you make twelve hundred and fifty or thirteen hundred of them, and we like. The ERP system, as you said, was a money saver because we realized we added stuff to it that caused this product to not be as profitable as it was, to take more resources, whatever it is. But again, people, 
that that grow and they go into that larger ERP system, I think they need to understand what ERP can do for you, what it can't do. And there are different than ERP systems, same thing as different than robots. Mm-hmm. It's not just speeds. It's not just reads, just payload things. There's adaptability. Um, you're, you're talking food processing, you know, and food processors say, well, you know, robots can't come in here and all of this. And I'd, well, there's companies that make food grade robots, right? They are approved by mm-hmm. USDA and FDA to work in food grade environment because they know you can't put machine oils in them. You need to run them in a vegetable oil, right? They need to yeah. be capable to be hosed down. They need to be capable of least their seals need to be pressure washable, X, Y, Z. So the, the thing is, I think the small manufacturers a lot of times don't realize that the problem they have, somebody else had. Let's get, get in, yeah. a, in something, reach out to, to um, uh, I want to put a plug in there for associations in general. Yeah, you know, you you sit down with association, and acuity belongs in the manufacturing side alone to like over twenty associates. And the reason we do this is because I can't stay up on all of the technology. Yeah. I can't stay up on all of the solutions. I can't stay up on all of the regulatory. So we connecting with them to make sure that we get that information or incorporate that information. Because I, I I hate to say this because people laugh at me when I was continuous improvement manager. I said. This isn't, we are not the only company that has this problem. Somebody else already yeah. invented a better wheel. Why reinvent yeah. it? Let's see what is out there. Get the consultants. And yes, it costs you a little bit of money when you use an, an, a freelance consultant. But guess what? You paid this guy 10 grand and you're saving 15. Well, it's, it's a win win, yeah. right? Yeah, and if, exactly. if you don't have the knowledge, bring it in. And you've been an engineer. And I think a lot of times we're taxing our internal engineers so much new product improvements and all of this that they can't really work on some of the things that really are the money makers. And I think small companies have even less of a staff. I I work with a company right now. They got two engineers and they both literally have to work 50 hours. So what, what, what can the, it's a lot of stuff that falls back on me that I say, I don't need to do this with some customers, but I do it because if I put it on those engineers plates, it's not going to get done. Well, and, and, and the thing is, if you have, you know, to your point, I mean, everybody's got a limited amount of time, you know, they've got a limited bandwidth, whether it's time and focus and even the engineers. I mean, when I, when I went from one company to the other, uh, you know, I went, I, I, made, I had like three moves in my corporate career and I can remember calling back to one of my companies and say, Hey, you should look at this technology, you know? Um, and you know, these are all good engineers, you know, but it wasn't invented there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, you know, it was sort of like, it, and it didn't apply, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, that's too bad because it would really work for them there, <laughs> you know? Uh, um, and so there's a certain gravity that occurs within a company that, that that's another reason why, you know, people like you, Mike, um, consultants as a whole, you know, or, you know, if you, you know, that they can come in and look at it from a, a I'm going to say a third party perspective, and they're really not necessarily selling a system necessarily. They're, they're selling a thought and a process and an implementation um, and, you know, and, and really allowing you to expand beyond what you can see right now, because for the most part, everybody sees the forest in front of them, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, it's hard to get away from the trees, but, you know, if they see the forest, that's good, but they don't see the other forest that might have some other things that are better for you. All right. Um, and that's what, you know, it sounds like Mike, you know, I just, you know, you and I have interacted only for a couple of years now, but it's, uh, it's very refreshing, honestly. Um, so. Well, when I, when, Mike, I, 
But I agree with you that as long as not proprietary information, man, all the things that I share with our customers, yeah. is stuff that I learned somewhere, right? I didn't create yeah. mode, man. I tweaked some processes. I, 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 I schlagenhauferized it, you know, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of this stuff I learned in school, I learned at different companies. But people yeah. people always have to invent a new process. And I go yeah. back, I go back to lean on what you just said. They don't see the forest for all the trees, right? Yeah. In lean, one of the things is workplace organization and good housekeeping, right? The five S, right? Or call it yeah. six S now because we want to put safety in there. Yeah. The problem is everybody's clean is different. So what the company of mine, this wasn't even an engineer's idea. This was a lady idea that worked there part-time and she yeah. said well let's clean this place up right this workstation and put mm -hmm. all the shadow boards up and we yeah. agreed on it we agreed all the people that worked in this work cell agreed this is what it is we took a picture of this and laminated it and hung it there and every time there was a shift change the question on the thing is does this workstation look like the picture yes or no there was no more arguing what is clean and what's organized yeah. when there was a yes or no guess what? Third shift came in. They said, no, we knew we had to address it with the person and second shift said, hey, we all agreed that this is the standard we work to. And it's so mm -hmm. simple. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned something else before is somebody's changing something or somebody doesn't want to change. To me, I always tell my customer the seven most expensive words in manufacturing are we have always done it that way. Yeah. And that can cost you so much money. It can create turnover. Be mm -hmm. open. That doesn't mean you have to change, but listen, understand, truly listen. That's a, that's a skill I think we often forget yeah. is the listening skill. And I think listening starts by asking questions like you've yeah. been asking me questions, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, in my, in my notepad in corporate America was, I had a question, question L, you know, so I'd ask two questions and then listen. <laughs> oh. So uh, I, I agree with you. It does. It, it, it makes all the difference in the world because it allows you time to intellectualize some of the stuff that's being, you know, that you're seeing. You mean you, you're seeing it from your perspective, not necessarily from their perspective. Um, and that, you know, you know, having multiple perspectives in a manufacturing environment is, is almost critical, honestly, because like I said you get watching a machine run. I can remember when I first went into a plant a real, a real manufacturing plant at Oscar Meyer and just standing there watching the, the product go by at 150 packages a minute. And I'm like, you, you can't see it. I mean, you really can't. I mean, you're what you're sort of, you know, cause it's moving too fast. The eye does not track that fast. And, uh, and you're just like, Oh my God, how do you do this? You know? And, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't even, I couldn't even comprehend it, honestly, because it was just like, it, it, it wasn't for me, obviously, but, um, but that that is sort of the the issue. I mean, you really got to be able to absorb what's going on around you in order to be able to make affect the, any kind of good change. You know, I'm gonna say desired change in the system to make it better. Well, good, Mike. Is there anything else you would like to share with uh, the audience uh, about acuity, about uh, risk management? You know, how you guys approach things is that that we've missed here. No, I, I think I could summarize a few things is, you know, you're not in this alone, right? You know, you have a product, you want to grow, reach out to people around you, you reach your resources, you know, you, you don't have to fight the battles yourself. You know, you have associations, you have, we have even customers that were in in, in situation that literally went down the street in the industrial park and knocked on the door of, of, of similar companies and says, how do you deal with this? And they started sharing this again. Don't give your proprietary sauce recipe away, 
but open your doors up on, on, on bring people in that have a new perspective. We talked a lot about the things that you see that, you know, Brad, how many factors have you been in? How many factors have I been in? Mm-hmm. And we saw things and we can say, well, here's one or two options. Now, what you do with this, you might develop a hybrid or third options out of this, but you haven't mm-hmm. seen that. Um, I think uh, institutions or organizations like uh, FFI uh, is a great resource. People need to realize and tap into this. And, and, and I always get a pushback when when I talk about associations is, well, there's a time commitment. And I'm like, I think time is one of the most valuable assets in manufacturing. You're willing to continue to put efforts and resources in a process that's not perfect. Uh, or run, accept the process that's not perfect, instead of using a couple hours a week or a month to go somewhere and learn tools, get tools that, that can help you this when you get your time back. Uh, one reason I'm such a lean manufacturing guy is because when I adapted lean in 1995, 1996, I became from a crisis manager, I went to an mm-hmm. opportunity manager. Well, that's true. Yeah. Instead of fighting fires all days and dealing with risks and out of process controls, it taught me get this stuff in control, put safeties in there, put plans in there to make this process run right. And I suddenly had all this time. Now, again, my boss made sure that my time was used somewhere, but I suddenly became an opportunity manager and I saw things get better every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what's really cool about that, we, we had a, a group we at search and I won't get into great details from a proprietary point of view, but we had a, it was a manufacturing improvement process that actually that, you know, that I, I, I used, you know, start Oscar Meyer used, and it was myopically focused on manufacturing improvement. All right. And, you know, we had a full cross-functional team at Oscar Meyer, and, but then, and this is back early, you know, I'm going to say the eighties, you know, when they were implementing continuous improvement and, uh, you know, and it was that was one thing, and it was it was really pretty good. But when we went to when I went to Sergiano, we 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 actually said, you know what, I, I I came in, you know, as an engineer, and I was, you know, I don't know if I, I was still in engineering at the time, but I was probably leaning into marketing by that before I even knew knew it was happening. I said, no, let's make this a total improvement committee, you know, and and it, it was painful at first for people to sort of to to sit down at a table for we we did it like I think every other week for two hours, and and we had shared leadership and. Um, and did, you know, where we went around and we found the, the inefficiencies we identified and we prioritized and we, we evaluated our options. We did. And, you know, what, you know, the, the beauty of doing such a thing, all right, is it gets rid of all the variability. It gets rid of everybody, all, all the, all the issues, you know, they, they, they crop up. I mean, they, there may be multiple, there's usually multiple reasons why they happen. All right. And, uh, and so by that, by the identification process, and the solution sets that came out of it, at least everybody sort of understood why we were doing it. All right. So it wasn't just you, be, you, know, you know, an individual becoming a Six Sigma expert. It was the organization, you know, the, the group around it doing it. And so you have that common focus and charge. It makes such a difference um, in, you know, in both, to, you know, doing the work, implementing the work, improving the work. Um, it, it's just a, it's a mindset. And then you say, then, then you start looking at it as it rolls right into, you know, what, you know, in the idea that, okay, how do we, you know, we get a better product, a better control of our process and really mitigate our risk. I mean, when you're all said and done, this all comes back to risk is not necessarily just like, you know, we started this discussion on insurance, right? Risk is like, how do we, how do we keep running? So we make more money. So we keep everybody's families employed. 
um, you know, that, that we want to mitigate that risk so that we can all do well together. Um, and uh, it, it's a mindset and it's hard to, you know, and, and, you know, like I say, I, I took it for granted when I was at Oscar Mayer and Sargento and such. Um, afterwards, I've, I've, re- I've come to realize that, no, this is something that that can, you know, people can adapt to and they should. Um, so I'd be, be, you know, part of the, my these kind of dialogues is to be that disciple. If you're leaning this way, yes, keep doing it. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I think of this FFI program is so great that, you know, this small company has done this and they've been good at this. But now for that next step, there's additional risk. There's different strategies. There's different tactics. There's different obstacles that you guys are out there and say, learn from those, right? You know, man, you, yeah. you're drawing on your experience all the way back to Oscar Mayer, right? I'm drawing to yeah. my experience from working back over in Germany, you know? Yeah. So this experience, I'm not saying this is the right way around, but get all of that experience in it and then pick what works for you, man. You mentioned cross-functional team, the team that I'm on at Acuity like I said in the beginning, I'm not an underwriter. I'm not an agent. Yeah. But we have 16 people on my team. Um, anything from underwriter to claims people. So they can help me understand the insurance side of it. I can bring them the manufacturing side. We propose certain changes up our food chain and says, hey, we need to add this coverage. We need to train better mm-hmm. on loss control. We need to do this. We need to do this. And that's really where I think a company grows yeah. The product sales come automatically when you have that cross-functional people looking at it from every angle, discussing it openly and suddenly, hey, I doubled my sales. I doubled my sales. I, I got yeah. my goal from my five-year goal of going from $5 million to $15 million because yeah. you have this culture of cross-functionality. We all want to learn. We keep open-minded and we do the listening and the discussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Mike, is there any other parting comments? No, I'm really looking forward to continue to stay connected with with you, Brad, on FFI and see how many customers or how many companies out there we can help to to step up to that next level of performance or growth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think from this discussion, I think there might be one one other podcast that we'll probably spin off as a, I think it's a discussion around about around really implementing continuous improvement programs. I think it it's something that's it's less intuitive than, than you might think. Um, and, uh, and and having people that have been through it a couple of times, it might be a really good exercise for for us to because it, it blends well into so many other topics that we talk about. So. Correct. And I agree with this. And my heart is, I hate to say this, I'm a lean guy. And you know, that's why one of the things is 5S is actually a risk management tool. It reduces injuries, reduces my, we we can take that and say, this is dealing with a lot of the, in a a small cell, right? But if you have a whole plant, that's 5S, you eliminate a lot of risk, right? So again, thank you for your time, Brad. And, uh, Let's looking forward to doing more with you guys and see what uh, what we can help help people out there with. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.